Welcome back, dear listener, to this, the July episode of the Grace Podcast. We're going to begin this podcast by acknowledging and paying respect to the custodians of the land from which we broadcast, the Wollamadugal people, to the elders past, present, and emerging. We recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So much has happened in July. We've had the Jesuit Refugee Initiative, development at OLHC in Epping has already begun. Father Vincent is back from Vietnam. Father Jim is also back from his holiday. Antioch and Emmaus have been out on a splendid one-day retreat. The wild geese are up and flying for their second journey. And by that I mean the Wild Goose series on the Holy Spirit is starting up again. It's Christmas in July and so much more to talk to you about this episode. You know what else is exciting? I think there was a jumping castle after the 9.30am mass today at St. Gerard's. I personally wasn't invited, not that I'm bitter. You know, I, I just thought uh, a little personal, little personal invitation might be nice. Anyways, July is a special month. Also, July marks a special week in our Aussie calendar, that week being NADOC week. NADOC stands for National Aborigines and Islander Day Observance Committee. Its origins trace back to 1950. Its origins trace back to the 1950s, where the National Day of Mourning before Australia Day transformed into a day of celebration of First Nations people's culture and history. That day since became a week, the first week of July, where we celebrate and recognise the history and culture and achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. NADOC Week is an opportunity for all Australians to learn about First Nations cultures and histories and participate in celebrations of the oldest continuous living culture on Earth. The 2022 theme for NADOC Week is Get Up, Stand Up, Show Up. Personally, I I love the proactive sound of that. Here's a little snippet from the NADOC website. We all must continue to get up, stand up, show up for systemic change and keep rallying around our mob, our elders and our communities. Whether it's seeking proper environmental, cultural and heritage protections, constitutional change, a comprehensive process of truth-telling, working towards treaties or calling out racism, we must do it together. The relationship between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and non-Indigenous Australians needs to be based on justice, equity and the proper recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples' rights. Get up, stand up, show up to amplify our voices and narrow the gap between aspiration and reality, good intent and outcome. So as we've said, we've got a packed podcast for you this month. Um, To kick things off, here's Annie with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God of all wonder, we pause in the busyness of our days to listen deeply to the wisdom of this land and those who belong to it. May our minds be open to dialogue, may our hearts be open to transformation, and may our hands do the work of reconciliation. We ask that the Spirit accompany us on our journey of healing from these lands, seas, and waterways. We also ask the spirit of peace be with all those who are living a life of fear, dispossession and distress. We make this prayer in the name of Jesus, our brother and friend. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome back to another biannual movie review. (laughs) Today's movie is... Highway to the Danger Zone itself. It is Top Gun Maverick coming, already came, to a cinema near you. But what is Top Gun Maverick about? 
well. And again, this is not sponsored, by the way. <laughs> Top Gun Maverick is about Tom Cruise's character, Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell, as a test pilot. He's won many honors, but he has to undergo the greatest honor of all, being a teacher. <laughs> Maverick stars in Top Gun Maverick. Now, Bernadette, tell us about the movie. So the movie follows this, oh, the original Top Gun. It's a. It's continuing from the original 80s. Super 80s movie, Super right? 80s the movie. The most 80s movie. Yes. And Maverick is still a captain and he has to train a team of new Top Gun graduates to partake in this mission um, to destroy, I think it was uranium, and and have this common goal against this common common enemy and see it through that they come out alive. Yeah. Any immediate thoughts on, on what you thought it was? I had Good, very bad, low ugly. expectations for this movie, but they were blown out of the water, just like many of the targets that they fire at, at during this movie. My <laughs> expectations were absolutely blown out of the water. Yes, thank you. Uh, it's surprisingly excellent. It starts straight off the bat like it's unapologetically 80s to start with. Mm-hmm. This is Top Gun. You're here, f- you're here for the music. You're here for the jets, yes. and they go hard. Then it actually has a story, which was very surprising, and like a good story. A great story. Yeah. I actually had a lot of biblical vibes with really? this. Really? As soon as I, at the end of this movie, I just thought New Testament, Maverick is like Peter. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so when I think of Peter, Peter's been tasked with this mission of leading the church, leading the disciples. Jesus is like, here's the keys to the kingdom. And... You know, don't worry that you mucked up a thousand times. You told me not to, to die on the cross and I told you to get behind me. doesn't matter that you um, betray me three times. You know, you're not the best leader. But hey, here, here I'm going to bestow this task to you, Peter. And so here is Maverick and his friend, the Admiral. Um, Iceman. Iceman. There you go. He says, this is the guy for the mission. You should trust him. But he's just a captain. He should be a, a lieutenant or something higher by now. Yeah, they they were amazed that he wasn't a three star general. He's That's been a right. captain for like thirty years. That's unheard of. That's right. So he's and it's because his track record. It's not ideal. He's he's a great pilot. He's fall, fallen a few times. He's fallen a few times. A lot of times, apparently. Um, but and yet he is this friend he's like you need to trust him he's gonna lead these uh top gun graduates into this mission um and no one thinks that he can do it no one thinks that this mission is possible and yet here he is he knows that that they can he can guide these youth i suppose you could say these these, uh new age age top gun pilots um into into succeeding and what's really great is that these pilots actually don't think they can do the task themselves. And here is Maverick. And at one point, he's kind of kicked off the mission because mm-hmm. he made a little mistake. They made a mistake. And no, like, we, we don't think you can do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but what he does is he steals a plane, as he does, and in his own style. And he shows them that I'm going to take it to the next level. I'm going to do it within a shorter time frame. And I'm going to take this risk to prove to you that it can be done. Um, to the point of death, essentially, because that's the whole point of this mission is that they're risking their life to complete and save save the world, essentially. And it's such a Christ-like mission to take on board. And Peter has to do the, has to do this the same role. He has to guide the disciples. He has in, to risk it all for salvation. Yeah, he has yeah. to risk it all to the point of death, which he does. Um, but Maverick is showing that he can do that too. And when the pilots see that he's willing to risk it, they 
can trust him and they believe in him. And it's such it's such a reflection of the mission of the church that when we see leaders who are willing to die and sacrifice themselves and show us that it can be done, we believe in them and we can see that following Christ isn't that hard. Well, it is hard, but it's possible. It's possible. Through, through faith. And through faith, yeah. yeah. Well, having flaws and overcoming them, like we all look at our own flaws and go, okay, well, we're not good enough. But the fact that Maverick knows his flaws as well mm. and knows his strength is able to overcome that's a really beautiful way of looking at it mm, yeah. fantastic oh, f- oh so would you recommend top gun maverick i think i know your answer oh absolutely i think it's the best movie i've seen the last two years it's absolutely fantastic uh, it's been another beautiful movie review thank you for your input you're Take care. earlier this month nasa released the first images captured from the james webb space telescope Images from the furthest reaches of the galaxy. We are seeing galaxies that we have never seen before. This $9 billion satellite was first proposed in 1996, began design in 2003, began construction in 2010, and was finally launched on Christmas Day 2021. The Webb Telescope is the world's premier space science observatory and was created as a collaboration between NASA, the European Space Agency, and the Canadian Space Agency. This telescope has a mirror that's 6.5 metres in diameter, which is nearly three times the size as the mirror on the Hubble Telescope. The mirror is made from 18 separate separate the mirror is made from 18 separate segments that unfold after launch. The satellite also has a shield which protects the telescope from the sun's rays, and this shield is the size of an entire tennis court. Now, this telescope is seeing galaxies which are far too dull and distant to detect with the naked eye. Let me show you just how powerful this telescope is. Listener, I invite you to pick up your nearest grain of sand. Got it? Good. Now, hold that grain of sand between two fingers and stretch out your arm. The space that that grain of sand covers is the space that the Webb telescope is taking photos of. From that small space, the telescope is detecting thousands of galaxies. Some of the light from these galaxies has traveled 13 billion years to reach us. 13 billion years, that's crazy. As an additional fact, as Jack's big fact for this month. My name's Jack. I've got a fact, and it's a doozy. It turns out that the telescope has on board a cryocooler that keeps certain instruments at an astonishingly cold 7 degrees Kelvin. If it was 7 degrees colder, the atoms would reach absolute zero and stop moving. That's astonishing. It's amazing. So once again, ladies and gentlemen, my name's Jack. This has been... My fact. Hands up. Huh? I'm hijacking your segment. <laughs> well, Jack, now that I am in control of Jack's big fact, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Have you ever stolen anything? Uh, I've stolen a spoon. A spoon. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. Thank you. Um, but, you know, have you ever wanted to steal Wanted to steal a spoon once, (laughs) and I stole that spoon. Yes, and anything else on your to steal list? Okay, okay, maybe maybe I'll narrow it down. 
um, if you were in, uh, let's say Jamaica, mm-hmm. Jamaica, is there anything you would want to steal from Jamaica? Uh, the hat. The hat. The hat. It's like a almost a beret, but knitted. Like, and like, it's a, got like a Rasta hat? I have I no idea what that, what that means. Is yeah. that what it's called? Don't don't fact check me on that. That that's not the fact. But okay. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. A Rasta hat from Jamaica. Yeah. And anything else you'd be interested in stealing? Would mm. you Would you by any chance want to ever steal like a Jamaican beach? Hmm. Yep. Yeah, like like a beach. No. no. Well, you may not want to steal a beach, but someone on a very mysterious night in July. Um, in 2008, stole an entire Jamaican beach. Huh? Yeah. So the Coral Spring Beach in Trelawney, um, which is approximately 400 metres long. So that it's, it's a substantial beach. So on one cold, mysterious night, 500 truckloads worth of sand was stolen and it disappeared essentially without a trace. Um, and the whole crime baffled police for months. Now, Jack, why do you think anyone would want to steal a beach? Well, it's quite possible that they had a very big castle-shaped bucket (laughs) (laughs) and they needed 500 truckloads of sand to fill it up and then they'd flip it over and make themselves a castle, a sand castle, fit for a Jamaican king. Well, I I feel... that's a very interesting proposition there, but but I have some theories of my own. So, the particular beach was re was uh, the particular beach was listed for development into a resort. So it was suspected that a jealous competitor was uh, a jealous competitor probably sabotaged the construction of the resort. Um, additionally, the existence of such a resort would have taken revenue away from smaller businesses. Um, and you know, tourism is a large money maker for the country, so it makes sense as to why people were that competitive. Also, illegal sand mining is a problem in Jamaica, um, as sand is used in the construction of houses. So that could be another possible uh, reason why the sand was stolen. But it, it intrigues me so much how someone successfully got away with stealing an entire beach. In my research for this, um, it was suggested that there was possible collusion with the police, which I find very entertaining to think about. But, you know, till this day, no one really knows for sure what happened to the sand on the beach. Probably wound up on other beaches. So, you know, no one's like, oh, what's this large bunch of sand doing here? But, yeah, you're Jack. I gave you a fact. Oh, and it was a doozy. Power parables. Power parables. Power parables with special guest <laughs> Bernie. Bernie Pew. Thanks for joining us today, Bernie. Anytime. What parable or what story from the Bible, because not really parable, are we doing today? We're focusing on Psalm 22. My God, my God. Psalm 22. <laughs> Why have you abandoned me? Indeed. Let's go through Psalm 22. It's a bit of a long one, so strap in, boys and girls. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me, from my words of my groaning? O my God, I cry by day, 
but thou dost not answer, and yet by night find no rest. Yet thou art holy, enthroned on the praise of Israel. In thee our fathers trusted, they trusted, and thou didst deliver unto them. To thee they cried and were saved, to thee they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and no man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He committed his cause to the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you who took me from the womb, thou did keep me safe on my mother's breast. Upon thee I was cast from birth, and since my mother bore thee thou hast been cast by God. Be not far from me, for my trouble is near, but there is none to help. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like the pot shown. My tongue cleaves to my jaw. Thou dost lay me in the dust of death. Yea, dogs are around me. The companies of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And my raiments they cast lots. That's a pretty depressing Psalm 22. Why are we doing that one, darling? It's very specific, don't you think? It's very specific. What's specific about it? We're actually only halfway. Let's 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 talk so far. I feel like, so you think it's in Mark 14 when Jesus says exactly that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. And he doesn't finish the Psalm, but it's almost like an indication of, look what you've done. Yeah. This I was, is it was, it's so surprising because they always, you always hear that, right? It's so, it's one of the, I think seven things Jesus says while he's on the cross. Mm-hmm. And you know, like if God's, if Jesus is doubting God, then what hope is there for any of us really? Yeah. It makes you question, oh, I aren't, aren't you God? Like, wh- what do you mean you've abandoned me? Like you're Christ. Um, but what's great is in context, you kind of see it's just him praying over the fact that this is um, what was foreshadowed or what was the prop prophesized and this is a fulfillment of that prophecy and he's showing that by saying the first few verses of that psalm because they would pray the psalm so regularly that they knew it in context they would know it but it does sound pretty depressing so far maybe maybe we keep reading and see we'll see what comes next so this is from uh, verse 19 but thou O lord be not far off thou help hasten to my aid deliver my soul from the sword my life from the mouth of the dog Save me from the mouth of the lion, my afflicted soul from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise thee. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you sons of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you sons of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction or the afflicted. He has not hid his face from him, but has heard when he cries to him. From thee comes my praise of the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For the dominion belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. Yea, to him shall all the proud of the earth bow down. Before all him shall bow who go down to the dust and cannot keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. Men shall tell of the Lord of the coming generation and proclaim his deliverance to the people yet unborn that he has wrought. This is the word of the Lord. 
Amen. Amen. Bit of a happier second half, isn't it? It definitely shows as a church how we praise him for all the things he's done for us and how we can look to that suffering and see joy at the end of that suffering, like light at the end of the tunnel um, and his resurrection and how beautiful, um, how when bad things come about, God makes something beautiful of that. Yeah, and even if we can't see it, God makes beautiful things from it. Suffering seems to only make sense through God, right? And that's what I really like about this passage. So Jesus why my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? But the answer to that is he hasn't. And the beautiful thing about Psalm 22 is all the things that happen to it prophesies what happens to Jesus. They pierce my hands. They pierce my feet. They cast lots for my garments. They jeer and mock me. This is, this is David hundreds and hundreds of years ago telling everyone like, hey, there's going to be a, this is going to happen. And then Jesus comes and fulfills the whole thing. And Jesus goes, hey, told you this was going to happen. But I also told you to have faith because, you know, I have overcome the world. And that's the beautiful thing about Psalm 22. Because it, it, for me personally, it fills in a gap that I didn't get when I was younger. Like, it isn't God, it isn't Jesus on the cross giving in to, to fear or giving up on the Lord, because how could he? He is the Lord. It's him telling the people with gasping for breath, because, you know, it's not very pleasant on the cross, that God has overcome all of this, and this is all planned. And a thousand years ago, eight hundred years ago, this is all to be. Mm. So, yeah, through suffering there is hope. There's hope. There's hope through grace. So as all of us listeners know, The Bible is one great and mysterious book. It contains many interesting parables, as we've heard today and over the past weeks. But it also contains some very powerful stories. And today, I'd like to walk you through um, a particularly powerful story that's really resonated with me. And this story is the famous account of Samson and Delilah. So the story of Samson and Delilah is mostly recorded in the 16th chapter of the Judges and it's been a story that's really inspired and intrigued a lot of people. The reason being is because this story is both tragic and realistic as you'll come to find out and it contains many messages about where our vices and temptations can lead us. So let's take a look at the story together. So Samson was a man who was born special. This is because he was a man who was gifted with superhuman strength. And along with this superhuman strength, though, he was also born a Nazarite, meaning that he was separated or set aside for God. This, however, came with some restrictions. It meant that he was not allowed to drink wine or touch the fruit of wine, and he couldn't go near or touch a dead body, human or animal, and nor could he cut his hair. And though he was set apart for special service to God, Samson ignored his Nazarite vow of godly devotion and relied purely upon his own strength and ability 
rather than good those God. And as we come to find out, this will slowly lead to his downfall. So during his wedding to a Philistine woman, Samson was deceived and humiliated by his wife and wedding guests. This greatly angered Samson and he got his revenge by killing 1,000 men. Yes, you heard me, 1,000 men. And after this though, he would think he would learn his lesson, right? I mean, had a bad experience with women, probably should not go near (laughs) women again. But can you guess what this man does next? He happens to find himself in the arms of yet another Philistine woman. And this lady was called Delilah. And today I will read a short passage that outlines the interactions between Samson and this devious woman called Delilah. Spoiler alert. Samson fell in love with a woman of the Valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. And Samson, the very smart guy, answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh thongs that have not been dried, I will become as weak as any man. Then the rulers of the Philistines bought her seven fresh thongs that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the thongs as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I will become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with the pin, I will become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into fabric and tightened them with the pin. Again, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, How can you say, I love you, when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me, and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him, day after day, until he was tired to death. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head. He said, 
because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head was shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become weak as any man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I will go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Philistines seized him, gouged his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. So, as mentioned earlier, Samson and Delilah are two of the most famous, or I should say infamous, lovers in the Bible. Probably because they're a classic case of almost everything that can go wrong in a relationship. So, as I mentioned earlier, by the time Samson had met Delilah, he already had a disastrous marriage. But yet he seemed to go again to this woman, another Philistine woman, who asked him for secrets that would betray many people. And, you know, um, from this, you might think, why is it that Samson goes back to Delilah? And what does Delilah represent? So in our day-to-day lives, I think Delilah really does represent our bad habits. We may not have the strength of 10 men, but each of us have developed strong strength of character, especially in those areas where we have turned to the Lord for guidance and help. Yet we also make the same mistakes over and over again, don't we? Just like how Samson does. And once we have gotten used to some of these addictive habits, we seldom quit cold turkey and never look back. Much more often, we struggle again and again with the same shortcomings that have been plaguing us for years. For all the spiritual strength we may have developed over the years can again be proven fatal or fallible because we can easily go back to our, to our old ways. Samson's story is really our story, a story of our Samson and Delilah who was our Achilles eel. And what this is really telling us is that, you know, if we continue to turn away from God and turn towards our sins and bad habits, then over time, maybe once or twice, it'll be okay. Just like how Samson told Delilah once or twice, hey, look, you can do X, Y, and Z, and I will become weaker. But Samson didn't become weaker. But eventually over time, Each one of our bad habits will chip away at us until we turn fully away from God and we are no longer able to receive his blessings as much as we like to have. Jeez, that sounds really depressing. Is there any hope whatsoever? 
Well, glad you asked because there is hope. Just as we notice in the end of the story, um, Samson, he hits his rock bottom. He's in prison. He's forced to grind grains for others. But as you notice, the hair on his head does start to come back. And what this really symbolizes is there is hope for us. There may be a time in our lives where we have hit rock bottom, but, you know, as the very corny saying goes, um, when you hit rock bottom, the only way is up. And what God is really trying to tell us is, yes, if you um, go down your bad habits, there are consequences, but you can always turn back to God. God will always save us. Um, Yeah, uh, the hair does grow back. Strength does come back. And ultimately, although it's not, the happiest story, he does sort of succeed through the grace of God at the end. He gets his strength back and he pulls away at his shackles and he is once more free. But in this case, he's free in God, not in this world anymore. And he, he's truly away from Delilah, not in the way that he'd like to be, but he is, <laughs> he is away. So, yeah, God does not forsake us. He he has us. In, he's got our back. And, uh, yeah, don't touch my hair, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. You've been feeling extra strong recently. (laughs) So I'm not sure. But look, if there's two things to take away from the story, one is we shouldn't give in to our bad habits because they tend to have disastrous consequences. And the second and most important message is don't touch Dan's hair. He wants to retain his strength. (laughs) Considering it's NADOC week this month, we'll end with a closing prayer said by Christine. God of all creation, as we journey together in this grace of the land, we pray for healing, forgiveness and unity, creating a bow of goodwill with justice and compassion. Jesus, through the power of your love, you have given us the courage, wisdom and strength to share our gifts and talents in humanity. In peace and understanding of reconnect with each other, Creator Spirit, we come together in prayer and give thanksgiving for many blessings we have received. Allow your Spirit to wash over us and give us strength to work together as one. Thank you, Christine. 